Ladies in the Wild is one conversation with two completely different lenses. I'm Sharice Corbin. I'm Cecilia Corbin, and we're two sisters with a 21-year age gap. I'm in college studying to be a psychologist. And I've worked in television for 20 years, guys. I'm brown. And I'm white. We've lived in South Africa, Los Angeles, Illinois, and Missouri. We both have a strong faith in God and see life as a total adventure. These two decades cause us to have some pretty different ideas about life. So we decided to sit down and talk about the ways these 21 years shape our perspectives, feelings, and responses to the world around us. One conversation, two lenses, because life is a wild ride. Welcome to to Ladies in the Wild. We would like to welcome everybody to the first episode of Ladies in the Wild. We want to focus on the topic of racism today. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Cecilia is an incredible person to interview for this because she has such a unique perspective. So Cecilia, if you could just tell people that might not know you or the details of your history to tell us a little bit about where you're from and what color you are (laughs) and all that jazz to set the foundation for our talk today. Let's lay the foundation. Yes, please. Okay, I would love to do that. Thank you. I guess to answer one major question, I am brown. (laughs) First thing that you should catalog into your memory as we go into this. Yes. So I was actually born and raised in South Africa. I am African by birth, and I spent half of my life raised in South Africa. Our parents were missionaries there for 23 years. So they adopted me um, later in life. I think they were 46 and 48 or around that time. Yes. I have lived with them for as long as I can remember. I met my dad when I was six weeks old, and I've been in their home pretty much since that point, and then was legally adopted at a year old. And so I have all of these things that have shaped my perspective on race and culture and ethnicity. So we've laid the foundation. Foundation laid. Check. Cecilia was born in South Africa. Mm-hmm. But then Cecilia moved to America and currently lives between Springfield, Missouri and Branson, Missouri. Shout out to Missouri. That is the birthplace of our father. Yes, so there, it's there true. is that. There is heritage. But what is it <clears throat> like, Cecilia, being a black woman? living in this area of Missouri. Mm -hmm. So for those who don't know, Branson and Springfield are in southern Missouri. And they really are a stark contract to where I was raised. So being raised in South Africa, I was a part... I said stark contrast. Did I not? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but I just needed to correct you, just in case. All right, listeners, (laughs) comment and tell us what I actually said. (laughs) All right. A stark contrast. Is that better? Yeah. To where I grew up. So in South Africa, I was very much a part of the majority. And now I've moved to a city where I am the minority by far. I make a joke a lot. Uh, so please laugh, that (laughs) when you see other, when I see other black people in Branson, I always wave to them because there are only like four of us here. So for a little bit of context, Branson is this really kind of fun, kooky resort town. And so um, 
it makes most of its money on tourism, but it's also got really good schools, really beautiful landscape, and a lot of old people. (laughs) (laughs) A lot of lovely old people. And um, it's kind of, in many ways, this all-American dream kind of town. Like, when I idealized what America was like as a little kid, this is a lot of what I pictured. But it does not have very much diversity at all. Like, I represent the diversity (laughs) now in many of the venues and places that I am a part of at this point in my life. At first, I felt so much pressure just to assimilate, Mm -hmm. and, and now... I have the benefit of being able to still feel like I can express um, my cultural background and share my history more, but it's just very different than where I grew up. I guess I'm curious how that makes you feel. Do people stare at you when you walk Mm. down the road? I mean, how does it feel to be one of the only people of color in the place where you live? It feels very isolating at times. There's no part of me that feels like it completely fits in this area so i'm brown i'm short i have big thighs and a butt and and i have extensions Mm. so i have hair that's just totally different than everybody else here so i just i am not conventional for this area at all and sometimes that feels very isolating Um, When I was younger, I felt so much pressure to try to assimilate and adjust myself to just be a part of the culture of Branson. Um, I'm not a big, I don't like to stand out too much (laughs) in my life. I don't enjoy that. I like to just kind of go with it. And there was, there's nowhere to hide here. I mean, there's (laughs) just, there's nowhere to hide. At times, it can be really fun. I um, like. I love how many compliments I get on my hair. Yeah. <laughs> Here, um, if you need to feel good about your hair, then come and you're black. Come to Branson because I cannot tell you the number of little old men that are just obsessed with my hair, and they're so sweet about it too. But it can feel like you just don't belong to any anyone. You don't belong to any place or any people because there's nowhere in this area that I feel like is completely representative of what I am. And honestly, I'm not sure that I will ever find that in life. I think that that will be kind of a continual ache. And in some ways, I think it's one that just isn't meant to be satisfied until I'm with Jesus because there's so much a part of my history that is just very unique. So I'm a missionary's daughter, but I was raised in the country that I was born in, and I'm a black African, and I'm technically an African-American, and I moved to this country midlife, and I've lived in other places in the United States. I haven't just lived in one place my life, and I've been through every type of education that exists. So I've been homeschooled, I've done public school, I've done private Christian school, Um, So there's just a lot there. And I think it's probably unlikely to ever find someone who has had all of those same experiences. And so now at this point in my life, I can embrace that a little bit and and see the beauty in that. Um, But it can feel isolating at times. Yeah. Not to insert myself into this discussion, but... (laughs) I am. (laughs) 
I can relate to exactly what you were just talking about in mm-hmm. my own way, coming from a completely different place, obviously, because I am a white woman. But, you know, my parents left Chicago and then we moved to South Africa. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to go to Africa, but it was really hard for me at first. And then by the time we left to come back to America to fundraise for a year, I was so sad to leave Africa. And then in America, no one understood me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, you... You're, you grew up in Africa? Okay. And then no questions. Mm-hmm. They didn't ask. And that was so my identity. Yeah. And it felt like no one cared about who I was. Yeah. And as a teenager, that was so, like you said, isolating and so difficult. And through the years, I just had to, to realize the beauty in that, like mm-hmm. you were saying, and to embrace the fact that I will never completely fit in in Africa. I will never mm-hmm. completely fit in in America. And that is okay. And there is such beauty and uniqueness mm-hmm. in that. But then you have layered on top of that the fact that you're brown and you're adopted by white people mm-hmm. and you've lived in both places. So that adds so many other super interesting layers. Which brings me to my next question. So what is dating a white guy like, Cecilia? (laughs) First of all, I would like to say that it has been challenging for Cecilia when she was younger. I would say I'm going to choose high school. Yes. Because Cecilia went to high school in Branson, Missouri. And as (laughs) as we already mentioned, there's... Basically, she is the diversity. So here, here Cecilia was, you know, looking like a black African, <laughs> but not sounding like one, of course. But it was seemingly so hard for her to find a white guy that was attracted to her. Because white guys like other white skinny girls, at least in this area, because that's the shape of most girls here. And Cecilia is the opposite of that. (laughs) And so, you know, she has a much more beautiful figure than a white, skinny, nothing figure. She's, like, so mad at me that I'm talking about this right now. But I like to bring truth. And (laughs) Cecilia likes to be... Cecilia likes to be diplomatic, and I like to... If you are white and skinny, you're beautiful, too. You're beautiful that I'm white and skinny. (laughs) That's not the point. I'm beautiful. The point is, when you're the only person that looks like you... And you are trying to potentially date someone and those people are not used to someone that doesn't look like them. Mm. It's hard. Yeah. Being brown affects every part of my life. It has an effect on every part of my life. It's not all bad and it's not all good, but I I can never get away from that mm. fact. And I'm not saying that I even want to, but it's just something that is always considered yeah dating is one of the most unique ways that this has affected my life i mean if you never see anybody that's different than you and you're never taught that people who are different than you are attractive as well or beautiful as well then you're probably not going to be attracted to anybody who looks different than you like and i think that we've that's what i was trying to say but of course you say it so much more eloquently so It's not, this isn't like a blame game of you all are racist boys who should learn how to like other people. But for me, because I had more of a diverse upbringing, like I had liked white guys in the past. I had liked black guys in the past. I had liked Hispanic men in the past. Like I had had this dating experience previously that was a little more vibrant and (laughs) colorful, shall we say. And so, yeah, that was really hard. You're young, you're a girl, you're going to have crushes on boys. And I don't want to quote a number because I'm sad how 
high the number is, but I, let's just say it has been more than one time that I have been told like I could never date a black girl or like, yeah, I would never be attracted to someone who wasn't white or whatever. And so it, it's, it's really, um, it's a lot as a young person to feel like something that isn't your fault and that you can't change about yourself is the barrier for you to have a really um, natural and normal part of your adolescent experience. Right. You know what? I guess I could lose the weight and I could read more books and I could do X, Y, and Z, but I cannot change the mm. fact that I am brown. And if that is really the thing that is going to cause people to feel like they can't date me, then it looks like I'm going to go through a lot of life without being able to date people. And what was worse for me is like in Branton, it's not my choice necessarily only to date white guys. That's who is here. It's the only choice. (laughs) That is who is here. And so if I'm... I really believe that dating is an important and natural part of development and that you need to teach your kids how to date well and that it's great to learn how to date. And so I just for a really long time felt like I was going to be denied the opportunity to do that. And that's a hard thing as a 15-year-old with an underdeveloped brain (laughs) to reconcile and understand. And then when I did finally have By the, the way, that would be hard for anyone of any age. Yeah, true. It would be. Um, when I did finally have the experience of dating in college, I dated primarily white guys then. And it came with a different set of challenges because now you've got your foot in the door, right? So you've met yes. somebody who you think is cute and they think you're cute and it's fun. But now if you're pursuing something serious with someone, then you have to begin to have these conversations about culture and race and ethnicity because it will affect you. Yes. It is uncommon in the area that I live in to see interracial couples. Mm -hmm. It's not something that you see. So you have to have these conversations of like, how do you feel about this? How does your family feel about this? Right. What is going to be our response as a couple if people are ever unkind or unfair to us? Mm-hmm. If you are thinking about really getting serious with this person, like, are you going to be okay having biracial children? Mm-hmm. Have you considered how, as you pursue your career, having a spouse of a different race is mm-hmm. going to affect you? At 20 and 21 and 19 and whenever, and you'd really just want to have fun and even figure out, like, what do I want? (laughs) What do I want in a person that I'm dating? Those are hard things to wrestle with. Do you think that that's so interesting? Because do you think that maybe people date within their race for those very reasons, especially when you're younger, just because... It's easier and it makes sense and you don't have to consider all of those things. Yeah, I think it's easier. I think it is easier. Yeah. And I don't think that that's wrong and it's not the fault of young people who are dating. It's the effect of a society that really needs to grow in its perspectives. But yet again, you didn't have the choice. I didn't have a choice. You know, and even things, I've dated boys who have said, I'm fine with this and I think you're beautiful and I want to date you, but I should let you know that I'm not certain if all members of my family are going to be okay with this. So it's like... And how does that feel? Man, how does that feel? It's 
disappointing is not a good enough word. Let's think of a better feeling word for this. Okay, because it makes me mad. I don't get angry. I feel winded. Of course you don't. I feel winded. That's how you feel because you think- Like you're punched in the gut? Yes. You feel like, I like you and I'm interested in being with you and we- like, let's let's talk about love. How cute is it? The feeling when you meet someone who is mutually interested in you. Like, that feeling is so right. sweet. It's There are a few things that are so fun as, like, when someone says, I like you, and you get to say, I like you too. I like, like you it's too. so cute, you know? What a fulfilling moment when you've been kind of trying to figure out, does he like me, does he not? And yeah. we're going on dates and we're doing this stuff. And so it just... To hear that, it can kind of, it can so spoil the joy of this new season that you're supposed to have and this new experience that you're supposed to get. And it just feels like you get punched in the gut because people can tell you all you want. I, I'm not my family. I will live by my convictions or whatever. You are stuck with your family for your whole life, people. Yeah. And we, let's not pretend that you're not. So. And what they think does matter to you. It does matter. Even if you don't like it. Even if it's your extended family, how are they going to feel about your kids? Right. For a lot of people who don't have that challenge, they just get to be accepted. Right. You know? They they get to forego that difficulty. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> how do you feel about being called African American? Mm, yeah, that's an interesting question. Technically, it's true. You know, I am African by birth, but I hold American citizenship. And so, yeah, technically it's true, but I I do feel a little bit removed from the experience of African Americans who have been raised in America, because I think there are a few differences between me being a black African and raised in an African context. And the culture and history that African Americans have developed in this country. So um, a big thing that I point out is I I don't have ancestors who were slaves. Mm -hmm. Um, That is a really unique type of heritage to have. I don't have ancestors who were brought here, (laughs) but against their will and forced to um, be a part of American culture. But I think it's important to recognize that distinction doesn't mean division. And part of my reasoning for saying that is because as a Black African, even with all of my experiences, I cannot entirely relate or understand the experiences of Black Americans who were raised in a Black American home or Black American context. Even by virtue of the fact that I was raised in a Caucasian household, I think that there are differences between my experiences and someone who was raised in a Black household in America. Mm -hmm. I just think, I think they're different slightly. I want to relate on all of the levels I can without making assumptions that just because I'm the same color as somebody, I know everything that they've been through. Not all white people are the same. So why do we feel this need when we begin to talk about minorities to throw everybody in the same pool and say, okay, your your skin color is the same. You must be the same when um, we acknowledge you know, somebody who was raised in the West is a Caucasian person raised in the West is going to be very different than somebody who was raised on the East Coast because there are cultural differences right. and that's okay. Um, and I think that we are we are more willing to do that among 
Caucasian people and we need to start giving that same kind of freedom and and generosity to minorities to Mm -hmm. say, you know what, we need to stop and acknowledge that you are not all the same just because you're the same color. Here's a question. Then how did you feel the last time that we went home and visited South Africa? I think the uniqueness of my life is most visible and clearly displayed when I go home (laughs) to South Mm. Africa every time that we do. I blend in pretty well until I start talking and it becomes a little bit difficult. So often the response that I receive from other black Africans is they believe I'm putting on airs by speaking the way that I do. So they kind of assume that I'm trying to be arrogant, essentially. That's probably the clearest way to say it. My interactions sometimes become difficult because they're just trying to understand why do you look like one of us, but you don't sound like one of us. So they're so confused. They're just so confused. And I think that that's where any like unkindness in the way that I've been treated, I think is really rooted in that, that they're just trying to understand like what is happening here. But then this gives me privilege with white Africans because we unfortunately have a country that still has such a class and race divide and it is so ingrained into the culture mm-hmm. there. There is so much tension in South Africa still between white Africans and black Africans. But my accent almost gives me privilege because they disassociate me from their views of the general black African population. And so they feel like I'm different and I'm educated. And so I'm able to interact with them. And they're much kinder to me than I think that they would be to a lot of other people who look exactly like me. I'm just going to insert my thoughts here Mm -hmm. right now because this is something that i've seen happen so often with cecilia is that Mm. cecilia is very comfortable for white people because she sounds like them and she's had cultural experiences like they have so it's so easy for people to say oh cecilia oh she's different Mm -hmm. she's not like every other black person i've seriously heard people say this yep these words oh cecilia is not like every other black person i'm like oh my god (laughs) do people don't realize their prejudice yeah but they don't they're not accepting it as that because like well i have a black friend cecilia is my friend Mm -hmm. you know and they just make those distinctions and i think that's where my biggest pet peeve in life comes in is when white people say i just don't see color i just don't see it And I cannot stand it because, of course, you see color. Mm -hmm. And you better believe that brown-skinned person is seeing color because that affects them. Their color affects their life every single day. Mm -hmm. Your color doesn't affect your life. Well, it does because you have white privilege. Mm. Because you were born white, you have privilege because of that. And it's not even your choice. You don't have to feel guilty about it, but you do Mm -hmm. have white privilege. And so when you say, I don't see color, that's dismissing Mm -hmm. someone. It's dismissing their... The way that they look, it's possibly dismissing their culture, Mm. their views. So if someone is a different color but like you, then it's okay. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the hard things when I was younger, people said that to me a lot, was um, by hearing that, I almost felt as though my right to express my culture and heritage mm-hmm. was taken away from me because I thought, well, what happens if I become too black for you? Almost, mm. what happens if I 
begin to lean in to this part of who I am and express those things, are we going to be able to sustain our relationship? Right. Um, so it's never, and you know what? All the times that I've heard that, it's never hurtful. Or it's, uh, I don't want to say it's never hurtful. It's never intentionally hurtful. They don't mean to be not hurtful. They mean to be not racist, although that they don't realize mm-hmm. that the very saying of that, I don't see color, mm-hmm. is being prejudice. I think really what we need more than that is to be able to say, I see your color and I celebrate that. Yes. And I want to know what that means to you. And I want to talk about that. I have had the privilege for the last couple of years of working um, a part of some diversity initiatives at the university that I go to. And one of our marker verses that we talked about this year was the verse in Revelation where it says, every nation, tribe, and tongue will be standing before the Lord. And I think it's incredible how even in scripture, our diversity is not only discussed, but it's celebrated Celebrated. as well. Um, And so- I mean, we're not going to all turn white when we get to heaven. So why are we pretending that we don't see these differences between us? They don't have to divide us. We choose to allow them to do so. So then going back to South Africa, so you explained what it was like to walk down the street by yourself. What was it like in South Africa to walk into a store or restaurant or down a street with your family with myself Mm. and mom and dad. How did that change your experience when you were with white people? Yeah, I definitely get stared at. So that's, but that's happened my whole life. So truthfully, I'm just used to that. I don't notice anymore. People stare at us a lot more than I realized. I kind of enjoy the process of watching people try to figure out why I'm with (laughs) the family. Often I feel like people think I'm the help at first (laughs) or they're like, what is going on here? And then my favorite thing is if Sharice and I tell people that we're siblings, they just like watching people (laughs) process their thoughts when it's visible on their face is one of the most just thrilling experiences. It's just pure confusion. They're just so confused. And they, they're they trying. They're really trying. You can see them trying to make the connections in their mind, and they just don't yet. And Sharice is funny because rarely will she explain. She just says, we're siblings. I normally say, I'm adopted. <laughs> and that helps people get yeah, there. Yeah, see, I don't feel the need to explain. It's none of their business. And they're not asking. They're just staring. So it's... <laughs> I'm not going to explain it to them. Cecilia is much kinder. <laughs> and when I talk about Cecilia, yeah. I don't feel the need to say, I have an adopted sister and she's black, you guys. Yeah. And then if they ever see a picture, then often they'll be like, oh, this is your sister? Oh. How did that happen? <laughs> and if they ask me, then I'll tell them. But if they don't ask me, it's like, ask the question, guys. Yeah. I don't owe you an answer for no reason. Well, and let's just add, it's okay to ask Questions. Yes, we live in a society who is so afraid of asking the wrong question mm-hmm. that we're not asking questions at all. When asking questions is what we so desperately need. Yeah. To me, that is one of the most dignifying things. Yeah. When people will ask me a question, they'll say, "Oh, you're adopted. Tell me about that." Oh, X. What? Insert your question here. Um, well, I mean, I feel the same way. Oh, you yeah. grew up in South Africa. Tell me about that. Yes. Oh my God, you actually cared Thank enough. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of just not asking anything, it's so true. People generally want to be asked questions. Yes. And people are generally more 
have more grace for you than you realize if Absolutely. you ask it wrong. Absolutely. <laughs> they're not just going to be like, ooh, you're racist. Yeah. They're going to have more grace for you than that. So yeah. stop being afraid. It's just it's just fear. Yeah. So, Cecilia, in wrapping all of this up, I'd like to know from your perspective and your experience, what do you think, as Cecilia, from your foundation and your past experience, what do you think we need right now as a nation? What will help? What do we need to do? I think we generally enjoy simplistic answers that go in a box and we can close it and say, we did that. Let's check it off the list. But this issue of racism is something that is very complex. Mm -hmm. It's ingrained into our society and it has been allowed to breed and make inroads in our culture for a very long time. We have legislation in this country that protects against discrimination. But it's clear that legislation alone is not solving the issues that we have. This is a character issue. Racism at its core is an issue of character. It's a fundamental misunderstanding of creation. In scripture, when we are taught that all of like man is created in the image of God, it means all of man. No caveats, mm-hmm. no but, no if, no Amen. sort of. Preach it. Period. Yes. We are all created in the image of God, no matter what color we are. If you feel like there are people who are less than you because of your because of the color of their skin, or people who are incompetent of certain things because of the color of their skin, you just have a fundamental misunderstanding of scripture. I believe that in our churches and communities, we have to begin to make spaces to ask questions. We have to ask good questions, and we cannot shy away from discussing these things that um, are affecting our society. So our churches don't have to become a reflection of the news cycle, but we should be talking about it because we have the answer. Right. And it's Jesus. Right. We have the answer to the problem. So why are churches not taking up their responsibility to Mm -hmm. lead culture, to set the tone for culture? And then I think we really need a big dose of self-awareness for us all. To really change prejudice, that's something that you have to learn how to recognize. So many of us don't. I have prejudice and bias that I don't recognize. Right. We don't recognize our own bias and our own prejudice. Yes. So who do you lock your doors for? When some, Who are the people that you lock your doors? Right. Or move your purse for when they walk by you? Wow. That says something about what you believe about other people. Yes. Who are the people you would be okay with your son marrying mm. or your daughter marrying? And who are the people that would make you uncomfortable? Right. Look at your church. Who's in your church <laughs> and who's not? That says something about your belief, like what you believe and what you value. Begin to expand your horizons and begin to get comfortable with differences. Yeah. Begin to get comfortable with people who are different than you and who don't affirm all of the values that you have or the things that you think. And I think if you do that, you will really see a lot of change in your life. Well, as Cecilia would say, focus up, guys. (laughs) Focus up, everybody. Until next time. This has been Ladies in the Wild. This has been a production of CNC Think Factory. All conversations and opinions produced by Sharice and Cecilia Corbin. Graphics by Sharice Corbin. Additional writing by Cecilia Corbin. Editing by Sharice Corbin. 
Are you seeing a trend here? <laughs> An original music by the most amazing composer in the universe, Jason Brandt. <laughs>